Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next comic, Mort Cantor. Applause breaks out from every corner of the large packed club. I rise from my seat in the first row center section and head for the stage at the Holy City Zoo Comedy Club in San Francisco. My special moment has arrived on this August night, the moment I've been working toward for a month. I've always enjoyed making people laugh. It's easy. All I have to do is say something outrageous, something unexpected, and they laugh. It feels good when people laugh at my jokes. I feel accepted and appreciated, different from how I felt with my family. Dad and Mom were always angry at me, rejecting, and I couldn't do anything right with them. But when I'm funny, people like me. They laugh, I laugh, and sunshine breaks through those old feelings of worthlessness and inadequacy. And the more they laugh at my jokes, the more they like me. What could be better than that? The only thing better would be to go on stage and get an entire room full of people laughing. That's what I wanted to do. And at the age of 32, I decided to give it a try. When a Holy City Zoo ad announced their new Thursday night open mic time for comics, I immediately signed up. I spent a month preparing for my first gig there. I had lots of ideas for skits and finally settled on a cooking demo. I would be a chef preparing his very special recipe and everything would go wrong. That should get them laughing. So I went to a restaurant supply store, bought a 20-quart stock pot, cooking utensils, a white chef's hat and apron, a folding aluminum table to cook on, and a bright red tablecloth. I wrote up my piece, memorized it, and rehearsed it over and over, getting feedback from friends on several occasions. I had plenty of time to practice since I wasn't working and was collecting unemployment insurance. So here I am, having just donned my white chef's outfit, walking up to the stage with my aluminum table. I can feel my heart pounding in my chest, and there's tightness in my throat and at the back of my neck. What if something goes wrong during my 10-minute time slot? What if I forget my lines? What if it's not funny and they don't laugh? I go up the three brown stage steps, walk to the center, and over to the tall black microphone. I look out at the audience, say hello, and try to smile. I see blank stares that make me uncomfortable. I start to open my aluminum table and see that one of the legs is stuck, so I kneel down to free it. When my table is set up, I leave the stage and race back to my seat. The minutes tick away as the audience waits patiently. I grab the rest of my props, the pot, utensils, and tablecloth. Back on stage, I spread the cloth over the table, set up the pot, lay out the utensils, and I'm ready to begin my routine. A high-pitched bell sounds, and my ten minutes are up. My time is over, 
and I can't do my routine. No, how can this be? The timing works so well in my living room where I practiced. But my living room is small. This club is big and the stage is large. It just took too long to bring things up there. The MC comes out, shakes my hand, and thanks me. Let's give Maud a big round of applause, he says, as he leans into the microphone. Everyone claps, and someone whistles from the back of the room. I toss the utensils and tablecloth into the pot, carry it off stage, go back to my chair, and drop it there. Then I rush back on stage to retrieve the table, have trouble collapsing that leg, and struggle to close it. Damn leg. The MC and everyone else is watching my every move. I wish I could disappear. I finally get it closed and carry it back to my seat. The MC says into the mic, if he doesn't make it as a comic, he can always open a hardware store. Back in my seat, I feel very embarrassed and again wish I could just disappear. I had wanted everything to go wrong in my skit, and everything did go wrong, just not the way I planned. I learned a lot from that first experience and was determined to keep trying at other clubs. From now on, there would be no more props. Props were too unpredictable and made things complicated. From then on, I would just talk and tell outrageous stories that I had made up for my routines. Stories like the time my partner Nina and I did a two-week house exchange with a couple on the East Coast. She wanted to visit her son and his family in Massachusetts, and those people wanted to visit their family in the Bay Area. But we didn't just exchange houses. I drove his car and he drove mine. I saw his therapist, and he saw mine. I went to his doctor appointments, and he went to mine. He was actually scheduled for gallbladder surgery, and they wanted to do it on me, but I convinced them to wait until he returned. Also, I wore his clothes, and he wore mine, but I was taller, and his clothes were way too tight. They didn't fit me at all. On one occasion, I was walking down the street wearing his pants and could barely walk. This guy comes over to me. You're doing a house exchange, aren't you, he says. He told me that he had done lots of these house exchanges and was familiar with the problems. This ridiculous story always got lots of laughs from audiences. Then I had a crazy routine about the strange things that people do when they drive, and I'm no exception. I remember a time when I was taking violin lessons. I was very busy with work and had no time to practice, so I'd play my violin while I was driving. I got really good at doing that, and my playing improved quite a bit, but turning the sheet music pages was tricky, and making left turns was hard. I once announced a new class that I planned to teach called Be Your Own Dentist. I told the audience that I would teach them how to drill their own cavities, mount their own crowns, and perform root canals on their molars. This would save them big bucks. 
At the end of my dental routine, I passed around a petition requesting that the government mandate that seatbelts should be installed on all dental chairs. It was hard to perform this piece with a straight face. When I managed to do that, it was successful and got them laughing. Over the next year, I went back to different clubs and my comedy skills improved. During the time that I did comedy, I had regular sessions with a wonderful therapist and worked through a lot of family issues. I still remember when I realized that making people laugh no longer had the same pull for me that it once did, and performing in comedy clubs began to lose its appeal. I could feel good about myself without using that crutch. So I let go of stand-up comedy and moved on to other interests. Today, it's fun to look back on those performances and remember my routines. Some of them were quite original and successful. I can close my eyes and still feel the thrill that came along with the words, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next comic. <laughs> 